Heavenly Father, we come before you as your sons and your daughters, um, and we do not take that privilege lightly. Thank you so much for providing a way for us to come to you freely, joyously, and without restraint, a way to pay for everything that would not permit us to be in relationship with you. Jesus, we welcome you always, and I thank you so much for coming to earth and showing us what it looks like to live righteously, and then for continuing that journey to the cross and paying for everything that needed to be paid for for us to um, be able to come to our Heavenly Father um, and have a close relationship. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would guide and direct what we do here today, that you would direct the teaching, um, that you would um, give it places to land in people's hearts, and that you would continue to teach it as they go forward. Um, I also ask for protection around this place, the places where all of us are entering into this meeting, um, our loved ones and properties, that we would not be disturbed or distracted by um, things of this world or things of the spiritual world. And I ask all these things in confidence and with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, I'm Barbara Kirk. I am part of the Cross Resources team. And um, we are going to be talking about giving and receiving forgiveness today. Um, Giving forgiveness, extending forgiveness, or receiving forgiveness seems to be difficult for everyone. Why do you think it is so hard? Most of the time I hear people saying, it's not fair, or I don't want to let them off the hook. This wasn't right. Those are statements of justice, of a need for justice. Um, and I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what forgiveness truly is. Um, there's also some harmful teachings about um, what it should look like if we've forgiven someone. Like, well, if, you, if you're not friends with that person again, if you haven't reconciled the relationship then you haven't actually forgiven them. Um, this is not necessarily true. Um, when someone is actually a dangerous person for you to um, be in relationship with, why would you do that? Um, the other thing that people tell us is, you just need to, forgiveness is just forgetting. You just just forget that they did it and move on. But we have this need for justice when we've been wronged, and that needs to be taken care of. Um, now, Connie and Richard on page 56 of the syllabus have an example of a woman who tried and tried and tried to forgive. Um, and so I'm going to go through that example that they've written. So while they were working in the Middle East, they met Agnes, a young woman who was a counselor to Christian workers that were in the area. 
Minutes before they were headed for the dock to catch their ferry to leave the city, she came running up the stairs and said, We haven't had an opportunity to meet, but I just found out you and I beg you to help me before you leave. (laughs) No pressure. Um, She poured out her story as a teenager. She had been gang raped. The consequences of that had been devastating and she was still living out a life of pain. Um, her marriage to a fellow missionary had ended in divorce. In her training as a therapist, she had undergone counseling from both Christian and secular counselors, during which she had extended forgiveness to those rapists. But she continued to relive the incident with all the feelings of anger, shame, and defilement. What is wrong, she said. Why doesn't God free me? What did I do wrong? Does God even care? These are all legitimate questions, and she struggled with them daily. Since we only had a matter of minutes, I sent up a quick prayer for help to determine the root of the problem. The thought came that it was forgiveness that was the issue. So Richard asked, Agnes, on what basis did you forgive those who raped you? On the same basis, she said, that Jesus did on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In response, I told her that these men had known very well what they were doing. They not only plotted uh, to do it, but laid in wait for her, enjoying doing it, and given a chance, they would have done the same thing again. They know not what they do did not refer to the act of crucifixion, but to whom they were doing it. They didn't know they were crucifying the Son of God. Therefore, this prayer did not apply in Agnes's case. The more Agnes heard, the angrier she became. So that when it was time to accuse and forgive these men on a proper basis, she found forgiveness very difficult to give. And it should be. This was a huge offense. And it had had an effect on her for decades. Um, only when we accept the fact that a terrible wrong has been done to us and the offender is totally without excuse can we extend true healing forgiveness. Um, We can best forgive when we really begin to feel the emotions that occurred at the time. Our feelings are a validation of perceived injustice. These emotions are there under the surface affecting our lives still. God is holy and God is just. There are perhaps these are perhaps the most important elements of his character and both must be maintained without violating the other. Now I want to make sure that I say to you that God is not God without all the character qualities that we know. But these two seem to be very primary in how everything else works out. When his holiness is violated, his sense of justice must be satisfied. But justice must be satisfied in such a way that it does not compromise his holiness. So therefore, the justice has to be perfect. We're created in the image of God and therefore we too have a sense of justice. When that's violated, we hold judgment against the violator and we want that justice to be satisfied. When we try to carry that out ourselves, 
it it devolves into revenge and and we don't do it well we never do it well um god has told us that vengeance is his to do and that he will indeed see that it's done carrying out what justice demands is god's job he did not equip us to carry it out or live with it unpaid and that's why you find Agnes, who has agonized for 20 years, or however long, because Justice was not satisfied. She tried to do all the things she was told to do, but she didn't have that knowledge that God was going to do that for her. Um, when we carry the burden of, of an unjust occurrence um, we do it in our own strength because we aren't equipped Um, and it brings us great harm physically emotionally and spiritually extending forgiveness is at the core of the process for answered prayer for our own forgiveness however if we are able to forgive effectively we need to have a clearer understanding about forgiveness God loves us and understands us, but that's not the basis. Sorry, Mike. God loves us and understands our weaknesses, but that's not the basis that he that allows him to forgive us. So he doesn't forgive us because he loves us. He doesn't forgive us because he understands our weakness or understands what we were thinking when we did a stupid thing. And when we are needing to forgive someone, we don't forgive them just because we love them or because we're forced to or because we understand the offender's weakness or even because time has passed. It's been 20 years. I might as well let this go. In fact... Forgiveness that brings true healing, that heals the heart wounds, cannot be offered simply because we're told to do so. Forgiveness is based on the premise that the wages of sin is death, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. Forgiveness is able to be extended because blood has been shed and payment has been made. We may choose to forgive out of love or a desire to extend mercy, very godly reasons, or even to get rid of the burden of hanging on to the offense, which is a pretty self-serving reason, but very practical. God loved us and wanted to have fellowship with us, but sin prohibited that from happening. He wanted to forgive us that sin, but was unable to do so until payment was made. The shed blood of Jesus Christ made the payment. God is then able to extend forgiveness to us by applying that payment to our sin, our debt. God chose to forgive us because of love and was able to forgive us because payment was made. And so can we. So when we have confidence that our Heavenly Father is going to do justice for us, and if we were standing next to Him and saw that justice, we have the confidence That if we saw that, we'd go, yeah, that's enough. Okay, I'm good, I'm done. 
Mike Banker also has um, an image that he uses a lot, which is you you make a list of all the things this person has done in the way that he, they've harmed you. And you walk into the courtroom and you put this pile of papers before the judge on his desk. And, and then you have such confidence that the judge is going to make a perfect judgment. You don't stick around to see what happens. You just walk out of the courtroom and then you go do life. And you have left that burden because it simply no longer applies to you. And that is an astounding thing. Now, sometimes we may see what that justice is. Many times we will not. So it is an act of faith that you have confidence in your Heavenly Father that he will do the right thing, that he will do everything that is required to exact justice for you. You're his beloved son or daughter, and he wants justice for you more than you want justice for you. And if you've ever been offended by someone who has wronged you, you know how much you wanted that justice. And so remind yourself, God wants that even more than you do. So there are four elements of forgiveness. We're told to forgive one another. In order to forgive, there must be a debt to forgive. The process of getting the debt out on the table where it can be seen is what we refer to as accusing. This may seem like a harsh word, uh, and it is, but so is the offense. So to accuse is to come before my Heavenly Father knowing that He wants to see that I'm healed of this offense. And to bring the offender before my Heavenly Father. So you're saying, Heavenly Father, I accuse Joe of whatever that is. And then you're going to list those things. And what we want to do as we look at the things that Joe has done is to see the offense or the hurt or the wound or the sin that's against me through God's eyes. So... Maybe your offender is saying, you're just too sensitive. That was a joke. But you know what? It wasn't a joke to you. It wasn't even funny. It was their way of saying a mean thing and socially trying to get away with it. So we call it what God would call it. To accuse, You tell the Father exactly, piece by piece, point by point, what I perceive the offender did to me. And you let your Heavenly Father know what you're feeling. Just how hurt or angry or devastated or any other word you want to pick that applies for what you are. You're telling him, what is the harm that was done? This is what he did. This is how it's affected me. These are the emotions I feel. This is the thing I have to live with. Okay, drunk driver mows you down. You uh, now have an amputated leg and one arm that doesn't work very well because of your injuries. And every day you're reminded of that drunk driver. And until you understand that justice has been done for you, You rehearse it over and over and over again. But when you know 
when you really know it's been taken care of, you can let go and you can live the life that's before you. And then the last point of this is that you agree with your Heavenly Father that this offense is worthy of death. What he's told us is that sin is worthy of death. And that kind of makes you stop and think. Um, once you have uh, told your Heavenly Father these things and kind of laid your heart out on the table, you have the choice to extend forgiveness or not. You can choose to hang on to the offense and seek vengeance or to choose to give it all over to God. The other thing is if you want to hang on to this offense, you can convince yourself that it is okay that they did that, you deserve this, and it's okay for them to hurt you. But it is not. Ever. So choosing to withhold forgiveness means I will continue to carry that load or burden. I will continue to seek revenge in order to see that payment is made. Because your heart is crying out for payment. That I am in reality waiting for payment by demanding that the offender be the one to die. That I am returning evil for evil. When God hands out justice, this is not an evil thing. This is exactly right. When we try to hand out justice, usually because it's not perfect, it's not right, and it's not our job, we are returning evil for evil. So we are descending into the same level that your offender was operating from. And you will continue in your woundedness. And you will continue to let that person have a piece of your life. And to me, this is one of the really big things. When we haven't forgiven, that person has a chair in my life. And that unforgiveness can act as a riptide that creates influence on many things that I do every day. And so a lot of times people will look at you and go, where did that come from? Because you appeared to have overreacted to the situation that was right in front of you. But really, it's because your reaction is sitting on top of the offense from this other person. So choosing forgiveness, on the other hand, means that you give up insisting that the offender die to pay for the offense and give the carrying out of justice back to God, who is equipped to handle it. That you permit God to decide who will make payment. Generally, this is the offender or Jesus Christ. That you are trusting God to see the payment is made. This is an act of faith. And it's a really big one. And once you figure out that he is indeed trustworthy, your burdens melt into mist. Because it's done. It's taken care of. When you forgive, you give up your rights to accuse this offender of this offense ever again. So this is an active thing. Um, this person may have uh, 
other things that need to be forgiven. And if you are in an ongoing relationship with them, you're pretty much guaranteed they're going to somehow make some mistakes and and potentially hurt your feelings, and you get to accuse them of those things. But this thing, once you have given it to your Heavenly Father, you take your sticky little hands off it, and you're done with it. You also, uh, in forgiving, give up your rights as a witness. This is sort of a passive role. Sometimes I think of this as gossip. So if somebody says, hey, did you hear about Joe? And and somebody says something, 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 and you go, yeah, I know Joe. You know what he did to me? Which is an accusation. But while you're kind of waiting for the opportunity for this, you're rehearsing that injury. So you are hanging on to it. And you're not free. You know, one of the... Um, um, bombshells of the 40s or so the movie stars said um, I always forget exactly who it is but I have a list of some who might have been anyway she said the best revenge is to live well and the way that you live well is to let this stuff stay behind you don't need to haul this junk with you it's like hauling a great big uh, trailer of garbage with you and trying to run a marathon. It doesn't work. It's hard enough to run a marathon. But to have to haul all this extra luggage with you is makes it just impossible. Okay. Choosing forgiveness also means that I believe that the blood of Christ is enough to make full payment for the offense against me. There's nothing that needs to be added to the payment. Neither the offender's apology nor any punishment or restitution by the offender or anything else. It's enough. It's done. And now you can be free of the load and burden because there is no past, present, or future in God's economy of time. So it's already paid. The minute you say, I forgive and let go, it's done. So you can forgive someone who's already dead. And you can forgive someone that you haven't seen for 25 years. And it's still forgiveness and you are still let loose. And things happen in the heavenlies as well as in your heart. And that is really, really important. The third step in forgiving is to confess. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So what does it mean to confess? You acknowledge the wrong that you've done. To see my offense or my sin clearly through God's eyes. Now sometimes when I am taking my confession to God, it's simply because simply, not simply, it wasn't out of a reaction to somebody else's behavior, I did the wrong thing. And so maybe there is nothing to accuse the other person of. Maybe I just need to say, Father, I was way out of line. Confession includes remorse. To feel very sorry for grieving God so deeply and hurting the other person so badly. If you're a parent, you know that when your child does something mean-spirited, 
or completely wrong. Your feelings are hurt. That's your child, and they did what? What are you thinking? And so we as children of our Heavenly Father also need to look at, yes, I hurt this other person, but I also hurt my relationship with my Heavenly Father, and I hurt God's feelings. He has um, given me everything I need to be able to do the right things. And then um, another aspect of this is to be repentant, to choose to turn from this wickedness and to walk in righteousness. Then we ask for forgiveness. It, forgiveness does not come automatically. And even as his children, we do not deserve it. Forgiveness is a precious commodity as my sin or my wrongdoing was part of what Jesus carried on the cross. And so when we think about what we've done and we are confessing to our Heavenly Father, we also need to think about Jesus and the time that he spent in agony on that cross. It wasn't just physical agony, although crucifixion is one of the most agonizing deaths ever devised. But he also had spiritual agony with all of that sin laid on him. And we just added another thing. This is the thing that made me start to see sin differently. I became a Christian as an adult, and you do things that you regret, you do things that you realize are wrong, and then, and then you, and then you say, gosh, I'm sorry, and will you forgive me? But, until you know this part, you don't realize the price that was paid. Um, the huge, enormous price that was paid. And one of the things that got to me most are what I call the stupid sins. The smaller things. Because it felt like we're just piling on at that point. We're making Jesus suffer more for something that wasn't that important important for us to do. It wasn't something that I was really driven and compelled to do. It was something where, yeah, I could have taken an extra second and been polite. But no, I didn't. And that too landed on Jesus. And then the last element of this is grateful acceptance. An acceptance and appreciation for the forgiveness and gratitude for his mercy. And that attitude of gratitude should encourage us to walk in righteousness and to have that be our goal. So the last element of this is um, to ask for forgiveness. I want to tell you about confession first. One other thing about confession. I had one friend I was doing prayer resolution with. Um, I had a, another safe other, a guy, and we had talked about a very difficult situation that she had been in. And um, she was doing a great job accusing. And she stopped and thought about it. And it was difficult, but she extended forgiveness. And then we said, what's your confession in this? Confess! Confess! I'm the victim here. I don't have anything to confess. And I, 
I was kind of like, well, that was a strong reaction. Um, and I said, well, why don't we ask your Heavenly Father? And so she said, Heavenly Father, oh, for goodness sake. And then she rattled off four confessions that were spot on. And um, I had gotten two of them, and my partner had gotten two of them, but there was... Um, so we shared three of them, and then there was a final one that neither of us had thought of, so we were really glad we asked God. So when you come to these things and you're like, I don't know what else to accuse or I don't know what else to confess, asking your Heavenly Father is absolutely a brilliant idea because he will just put it in your heart and you'll know, yep, that's exactly right. Okay, so asking for forgiveness. Some people think that forgiveness is their right and so they can come before God and say, I'm so sorry I did this. And it can stop there, but it can't. We need to acknowledge that we have offended God. Um, we may have offended the other person and we may have have business to do with them on that point, but we really need to ask our Heavenly Father to forgive us. Um, so we are at when we do that, we are asking that the great sacrifice that Christ made be applied to my sin. We are asking that this sacrifice is enough to pay completely for my sin. I don't have to add anything to it for it to be complete. So you don't have to um, limit your enjoyment because of this thing that you did five years ago. You don't have to punish yourself. Um, I have a friend that I... I'll tell you this at the end. You're asking that your sin be paid for by Christ and the debt that you owe is canceled. That God would remember my sin no more. That this sin is removed from the spiritual realm. That because I am forgiven, I am no longer guilty or ashamed. That I am free. And this is a remarkable thing. And usually when I'm working with somebody, when they've asked for forgiveness and I've witnessed their prayer, I ask them, how do you feel? And usually they feel a huge relief. And a lot of times they'll feel like 10 pounds fell off their shoulders or 20 pounds or a ton. I have a friend who was embroiled in a situation um, when she was away from home and it um, went places it shouldn't have gone. We talked about that. Her, her entire family, her, her parents were called um, and then they called all of the siblings, which were quite a few. And so she started getting phone calls from everybody in her family. Um, at any rate, um, she came to me and we took care of this situation before God. And when I returned her to her family, I told them she has accused, she has extended forgiveness, she has confessed her part with remorse, and she has asked for forgiveness and God has forgiven her. 
He has cleansed her. He has restored her purity. And she is free from this. Because I wanted them to hear in really strong words that this is not something that they needed to beat her over the head with. And yet, six months or a year later, she's getting calls and comments from her siblings going, I don't see any remorse or repentance in you. Are you sure you took care of this? What they really wanted was to see her in sackcloth and ashes. They wanted to see her with her head down, full of shame. But God removed her shame. She didn't have to be ashamed. She can walk uprightly as his daughter in full righteousness. And so sometimes um, our church communities can make things harder than they need to be. And harder than God wants them to be. We do need to make sure that when we're before him confessing that we are truly repentant, that we are truly remorseful, that we understand the magnitude of what we did. But then we get to understand the magnitude of his grace and his love and his acceptance of us. And that, my friends, is something we don't see on earth very much. So, anyway, you'll notice that these lists in the syllabus that come under confession or asking for forgiveness or accusing, these lists are really in a specific order and they build. So, um, with the forgiveness one, the sacrifice was applied to my sin. The sacrifice was enough. I don't have to add anything. My sin is paid for and the debt is canceled. And then fur- step further up. God remembers my sin no more. No more. My sin is removed from the spiritual realm. And then because I am forgiven... I am no longer guilty. I am no longer ashamed. I am free. Um, I have this um, picture of arriving in heaven and spending some time with Jesus. And he's got this book with my name on it and he opens the book. And there's going to be things in there that I didn't even remember until this moment. Some of them are are really good things and they're in there because I had an impact on somebody else's life that was a good thing. And it was something that I didn't even recognize at the time. And I don't know if there are pages that are blank. I don't think so because that leaves a record of something. Something was here. But there are many things that won't be in that book. Because I've confessed them and I've been forgiven. And God remembers it no more. And it's removed from the spiritual realm. So there is no accusation. There is no leftover stuff there. And and that, if that's not enough to make you hurry to confess things, I don't know. What would be? So...
that is our wrap-up for those four elements of giving and receiving forgiveness. These are done in a specific order. Um, it is actually the order that I presented them in. And Deb is um, going to be next to talk about that. And um, and go into these things further. So thank you for your time and attention. Hi, my name is Deb Bowl, and I am happy to be here with you to continue in Chapter 9 um, on giving and receiving forgiveness. We are on page 59 in your syllabus um, as you follow along. So we've heard that we are to accuse, forgive, confess, and ask for forgiveness. There's an order in which we do these things. If you look on your syllabus on page 46, there is a simple elements of a prayer for resolution that's kind of just laid out, that lays out the order and the pattern in a simple form. This is something that you can use whenever you are praying to forgive somebody or leading somebody else through that prayer of forgiveness. I accuse and forgive those who have wronged me before I confess and ask for forgiveness. This order is in teaching with what is in with what Jesus taught us in um, Matthew 6. Okay, in the Lord's prayer, Jesus said, "Forgive us our debts, trespasses, our sins, as we have also forgiven those who are our debtors or those who have sinned against us. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now verses 14 and 15 of chapter 6 of Matthew goes on to say, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. What is your attitude toward the one who has hurt you? Are you willing to forgive? Or are you telling God that their sin is so great that Jesus' blood shed on the cross wasn't enough? I forgive the one who has hurt me. My Heavenly Father forgives me. It is important that we list the grievances that we are going to forgive. And I list my confessions that I am going to ask for forgiveness. Because as I look at that list of grievances, I begin to see how wrong it was what someone did to me. The the, um, awfulness of that sin. It does make forgiving harder sometimes but it also makes it more heartfelt and complete and I know exactly what I am forgiving them for and when I list my offenses before I pray it makes me more and more aware of the awfulness of my sin and the penalty that was paid to be able to forgive my sins Sometimes it makes asking for forgiveness hard, but it also makes it more heartfelt and complete. 
So first I accuse, and I say the name. I accuse Charlie of, and I list out the grievances. I am specific with the grievances, as if I were in a court of law. And sometimes I have to stop and say, Father, is there anything else I should accuse him or her of? Then I choose, am I going to forgive them or not? I forgive Charlie for these things. I don't have to repeat every um, grievance that I had because I listed them in my accusations to my father. Third, I confess I did this and I list out my grievances of what I did in the situation. And then I ask for forgiveness for these things. Again, I don't need to list, relist everything because my father knows that in my confession I listed out my grievances. We know that sometimes it's not until after I make my accusations and forgive them that I actually see my part. The Holy Spirit shows me my part in the situation and I can make my confessions. Now every once in a while you'll work with a hurting one who is so burdened by their own part and their own sin that they need to confess before they can go to the accusations. But this is rare. Normally we accuse and forgive before we confess and ask for forgiveness. When we come to the Father, we bring the things that we as the hurting one have perceived were done to us. Not was it done wrong, was a wrong done, but did I feel that a wrong was done? We know that thoughts and emotions create their own realities. So we deal with the hurting one's perception of the situation. Even if as a safe other you feel that that, um, that the hurting one misunderstood the situation, you still allow them to go through the process. It's how do they understand the situation. So I feel hurt and I bring that offense before my Heavenly Father. I accuse and I choose to forgive. Now, if it is a false accusation, the Holy Spirit is going to convict me later or maybe as I get to my confessions is going to convict me that that was wrong. That wasn't the way it was. And then I will confess and ask for forgiveness. The beauty of it is that we are in the court of the perfect judge. God knows what really happened. He knows what really went on. He judges rightly, even if my perception was wrong. Now, sometimes as a safe other, you're going to hear as the hurting one is talking about a situation and you realize that the hurting one was wronged, but they don't see it that way. Oh, boys will be boys. Or no harm was intended. It's something that just happened. And you can talk about it. You talk about it from God's perspective. What does God think about this? How does he look at it? And then, again, does the Holy Spirit convict them that something that they were wronged? 
and they need to accuse and forgive? If not, you move on. And again, it's what their perception is. If need be, the Holy Spirit will later show them how much that was wrong and how much that was a sin committed against them. But at this time, we just leave it. Sometimes people misjudge a situation. A parent, um, a child feels like the parent doesn't love them. They're an adult now, but their parent never loved them. They loved them less than they loved all the other siblings. Or the family didn't accept them. And this is their perception. So they feel rejected. They feel hurt. And as you listen to the story, you may agree with them or not. But this is their perception. So they need to go through and accuse their parents of not loving them in the same way or not showing love because they excluded this and allow them to accuse and forgive their parents and accuse and forgive their siblings of not accepting them. Because you can talk and talk and talk but they are not going to change their perception of the situation. God has to do that. And after they have gone through and accused and forgiven, confessed and asked for forgiveness, then we can ask the Holy, the Father to re, um, we can ask the Father to restore a proper relationship with their family and with their parents. Sometimes it's a sensitivity that comes because of culture. What's perfectly fine in one culture may be looked upon as a sin in another culture. And we need to allow that hurting one from the other culture to accuse the person, even if we don't feel like anything wrong happened. So the first time my husband went to China to teach English, he was with a group of the, the, the teachers that he had gone with, and the students. It was a rainy day. He had an umbrella, so he put it up. And there was one young student that did not have an umbrella. And he thought, well, I'll just share it with her. So he said, can I help share my umbrella with you? And the missionary who was with them very quickly said, Ted, why don't you give the umbrella to her and I'll share mine with you. And then he explained that in their culture, sharing an umbrella was just like a marriage proposal. And so Ted had to um, confess that he didn't know that and ask the father to forgive him if he had caused harm in that young woman's life in any way. Sometimes we distort the facts. And after praying... Um, and you come back, say, later, and the person just doesn't feel like the situation was taken care of. They don't feel like it was answered. Um, you know, I still feel like I want to tell everybody what he did to me. I don't feel like it was completed. Maybe they didn't play pray with completeness and with complete understanding. This is part of why we spend time talking about a situation before we pray so that we can make sure the um, situation is understood completely. Sometimes we have to pray for clarification 
so that we understand where was the distortion. And in my next example, you will see how distortion played a big role in um, not receiving complete forgiveness. So then there's what we call the greater circle. Many times when we accuse somebody in a situation, there might be others around who also played a part in that situation. For example, a child is bullied on the school property. Well, what about the other kids that stood around and watched? What about the teacher that was supervising? Did they step in and do anything? Or did they allow the bullying to continue? When that hurting one brings this incident before the father, there's more than just the kid who bullied him that needs to be accused. But the other children and the teacher. And did they tell their parents? And what did their parents do? This is the greater circle. A very good example of this is a young woman who had an abortion when she was a teenager. She had asked God many, many times to forgive her, to cleanse her. For over 30 years she had been praying for forgiveness, but she never felt like God had truly forgiven her. She tried everything. She'd ask again and again. She'd force herself to believe it. She'd quote scripture to herself that says she was forgiven because she asked. And God heard her prayer. She kept repeating over and over again that she was forgiven. She even would look in the mirror and look herself straight in the eye and say, You are forgiven by God. But she didn't feel that way. She still felt guilty and condemned. As she was sharing her story with her hurt, with her safe others, a lot of information came out. And all through the years, this young woman had blamed herself for the abortion. She didn't want the abortion, but she felt, and she felt it was wrong, and she wanted the baby. She tried to get help and the best advice that she could as a young teenager. But her boyfriend told her, it's either the baby or me. The baby goes or I go. Her aunt, with whom she was living, said, you've made your bed. You have to lie in it now. And her girlfriend told her, it's no big deal to have an abortion. Everybody does it. Don't let a baby ruin your life. Even the doctor and the nurse were cold and offered no Um, other alternatives for her. They said it was a simple procedure and there were no side effects or after effects, not even emotional ones. In the end, this young woman gave in and had the abortion. Afterwards, she felt terrible. She felt the guilt, the shame, the grief, and condemned for what she had done. This had brought her to God. And for 30 years, she had been begging for cleansing and for um, forgiveness and release. As she talked with her safe others and as they prayed together, she began to see that she was taking on the blame for everyone else who had a part in her story and encouragement from her girlfriend, from her boyfriend, 
from her aunt, from the doctor and the nurse who lied to her. She began to see that none of them had done right by her and that she had made a very difficult decision because of what they said. If somebody had supported her, she might have made the other decision. Now, the decision was fully her part, and she recognized that and had to bear the consequences for that decision. But each one of these others had sinned against her by not helping her make another decision. One by one, this young woman went through and accused her boyfriend, her aunt, her girlfriend, the doctor and the nurse, um, one by one, each for their part and what they had done against her and that had wronged her in this whole process. And so she accused and she forgave. She confessed her part and asked for forgiveness. And as she was praying, she realized there was one more person she needed to confess that she had wronged, and that was the baby. So she had never considered that before, but she realized she sacrificed her baby's life for that of a boyfriend that she thought she wanted in her life more importantly. So she confessed and asked God to forgive her for her sin against the baby. With clarity and understanding and no more distortion and including the wider circle, she went through the steps with each party for the part that they had done to encourage her to have the abortion. She confessed, asked for forgiveness, or she accused, asked for forgiveness, confessed. She accused and forgave, asked for forgiveness, She accused and forgave, confessed and asked for forgiveness, asked for cleansing and release. And for the first time, she felt peace because she had rightfully accused and not taken the blame upon herself. God finally brought her release and cleansing. When we're looking at forgiving and confessing, we want to make sure that we're looking at God's perspective. What's his perspective in all of this? We are made in the image of God. So we want to think as he does and be able to distinguish good from evil. So in Matthew chapter 18, in verses 21 to 35, Jesus tells the parable of the unjust servant. This is the king who comes, who calls his servant in, who owes him a lot of money. This is more money than the servant would ever be able to pay him back. He's ready to sell the servant, his family, and all of his things to pay off the debt. But the servant falls on his knees and begs for mercy and says, I'll pay you back. Well, there really wasn't any way he could do that, but that's what he begged for. And the king had compassion and forgave him his debt. He took pity on him and canceled his debt. The servant went out and found a fellow servant who owed him just a little bit of money. 
And he said, pay me back. You owe me this money. And the servant said, I can't right now. Please, I'll pay you back everything. He fell on his knees and begged him. But the servant would not listen. And he had his fellow servant thrown into jail until he could pay him back. Others heard about this and went back and told the king. And of course, the king was furious. He was enraged. And he said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? The servant was put in prison until he should pay back all he owed. And in verse 35, Jesus said, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, forgiven those who have sinned against us, when we want to be godlike, when we want to imitate our Heavenly Father, we need to forgive those who have hurt us. Jesus applies this parable to God's response to people who withhold forgiveness. So as we look at that, there are some conclusions we can draw from that. One, is that God releases us from debt when we do not deserve such treatment. The king didn't have to forgive the servant, but he chose to. Forgiveness is an act of the will. The king chose to forgive. The servant chose not to forgive. But God expects us to imitate him in forgiveness. God is very angry by an unforgiven unforgiving spirit. God wants us to imitate him in forgiveness. Now, in God's economy, no debt is actually canceled or merely erased. Instead, there was a payment that had to be made. And Christ made that payment by giving his life on the cross and shedding his blood. Now, in summary, as we look at forgiveness, we think about what right do we have to tell others that they had to forgive so that God would forgive them? Some of the offenses are atrocious. They're heartbreaking. Yet, we ask them, we ask the hurting one to forgive that person so God will forgive them. What we're actually asking the hurting one to do to bring about healing. What do we actually what are we actually asking the hurting one to do to bring about healing? That's a good question. And there's a couple of things. First, Webster's dictionary says forgiveness is to give up resentment of or claims to requital for. To grant relief from payment of to cease to feel resentment against an offender. Okay, that's man's way, but not what God says. Secondly, much of counseling seems to say that forgiveness comes when we understand what the offender did, why they did it, and we understand why we responded the way we did to that offense. They think knowledge 
brings about understanding, which brings about release. Again, not what God says. Thirdly, the church says, give it to God. He'll take care of it. Good advice. But how do you do it? None of these really do bring about healing. But what we know is that when a debt or a sin has occurred, no, what we do know is when a offense, okay, so what we do know is when an offense or sin has occurred, a debt is incurred. But it doesn't, in order for the sin to be taken off the books, the debt has to be paid. The sin must be paid for or the debt still stands. Okay, I'm going to repeat that. So what we do know is when an offense or a sin has occurred, a debt has been incurred. And in order for that sin to be taken off the book, the debt has to be paid. The sin must be paid for or that debt is still in place. Therefore, when I sin and I ask for forgiveness, I am asking that my debt or my sin be paid for by someone else so that I don't have to pay for it personally. I'm When I ask for forgiveness or when I'm willing to forgive, number two, when someone sins against me and I withhold forgiveness, I am demanding that the offender pay the debt owed me. When I don't forgive, I'm demanding that the offender pay me back. Am I saying Christ's death on the cross wasn't enough to cover that sin? But when I extend forgiveness, I am asking that the debt owed me simply be paid, even if it's by someone else other than the offender. Now the major point being that when sin occurs, it must be paid for in order for justice to be satisfied. When someone has sinned against me, it's important enough and noteworthy enough that it not be ignored, overlooked, let go, forgotten, or belittled. That it will be paid for to the extent that justice is done. Because I am his child, I know when I am hurt, when I cry, God also hurts and he cries along with me. I am that important to him. Forgiveness is trusting God enough to believe that he will see that justice is done on my behalf to the point that even my sense of justice will be satisfied. Therefore, when I forgive, I no longer insist that the offender be the one who pays. Rather, I give it over to God the choice of how that payment is made, either by the offender or by Christ. When I do this, 
any emotional attachment that I have placed on that person because of the offense is gone. And when I see them, I can be courteous and treat them as I would any other man or woman. When I forgive, I am assured that payment will indeed be made. I trust my Heavenly Father for this, and I know that He is going to do it. When I forgive, because there is no past, present, or future with God, I can be assured that at that moment, I forgive, payment was made. Justice was done. The matter is finished. When I forgive, I give up my right as an accuser to either actively accuse them or um, passively accusing them of the same offense again because it's been paid for. It's off the book. I put this in God's court on his bench so I don't have to accuse that person again because I know my Heavenly Father is taking care of it. When I forgive, I give up my right as a witness against the offender, either passively or actively. I may be sitting there waiting for God to call me back into his court to go over again what that person did to me. It's not going to happen because the offense is no longer on the book. When I forgive... I can now let loose of any harmful emotions that have come from this offense because the source of the emotion no longer exists. So those emotions no longer serve me. The emotions were there to serve and tell me that an offense had happened, that I had been wronged. They were there for me to seek justice. But now that the penalty has been paid, the offense has been paid for, I don't need those emotions anymore. I give them to God. And because I forgive, I can ask that whatever painful memories that exist can be put under the control of the Holy Spirit so that Satan has no access to them to accuse me and I have no access to them to beat myself up over them. Their power to hurt me is gone. Whenever that memory comes up, It's just a memory. There's no pain behind it. This, my friend, is a forgiveness that brings healing to the wounded heart. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us a way to be healed You have given us a way to be able to extend forgiveness to those who have hurt us. That Jesus dying on the cross paid for my sins and also paid for the sins of those who have hurt me or wounded me. Father, you have promised that you will be with us and help us through this process. And I thank you for that, Father. I also pray that these words that were spoken tonight or that were spoken, that have been spoken, would touch the hearts 
not just the ears, but the hearts of those who have heard them. And Heavenly Father, I just ask that these words would begin to bring healing to wounded hearts. Thank you for your Son, Jesus, that we can come before you and ask for these things. In Jesus' name.